It's Friday night, and we're back like we never left. This is episode 54, the Goose Gossage episode. We wore number 54, Hall of Fame pitcher for the Yankees, among other teams, of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I'd like to thank every one of you once again for joining me this Friday evening here in New York. Got a new light, mixing up the ambiance a little bit, trying to make more visually arresting for you. And um, if you're checking out episode 54 on the YouTube channel, which I, again, very much appreciate the support, uh, if you haven't done so already and are enjoying the content, don't forget to click like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. If you prefer the audio version of the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and the other platforms, same general rule applies if you haven't done so already. Please click like, subscribe, flip on those notifications. So we have arrived at what is known in Hollywood and among fans who enjoy uh, awards, award season. We're just about to the point where they're going to announce pretty soon, I think, I don't know the exact date, uh, Academy Award nominations. And it's a weird thing to ponder just from a conceptual standpoint, the idea of trying to get a movie ready by December 31st so that it can qualify for that year's Oscars. And there have been certainly plenty of movies going way back in time that were just barely completed, weren't going to be ready for like a general release, like they didn't have enough prints, as weird as that sounds in 2024. Uh, but like, for example, The Deer Hunter, all the way back in 1978, uh, the filmmaker Michael Cimino, the studio, they were, they were trying to get the film together and they were just barely able to release it in, I want to say, one theater in Los Angeles and one in New York City. I'm not sure about that, but I am sure about the fact that they it did play at least one showing in one theater in its Oscar year, 1978. And then it qualified it on the big awards. Sometimes, a movie that is earmarked for a certain year, shit happens with the distributor, with the studio. It, it doesn't even really matter exactly what the particulars or the mechanics of, uh, you want to call it a breakdown, a miss. It doesn't matter. What matters is there are years in history, and in particular, I'm going to focus on two great movie years in the 1990s, one where it was affected because of a film that should have been released prior, and then where a film should have been released later. So the first one, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs was wrapped. It should have been released in 1990. The issue was with the distributor. I believe it was Orion was the name of the, the company. They were handling distribution. Now, you don't always know when you make a movie, especially a film like Silence of the Lambs, which is in the, uh, I don't consider it a horror film, but I guess it's considered a horror film. Uh, you don't really know if that kind of movie, at least going back historically, they're typically not Oscar 
which usually isn't the sort of movie that the Motion Picture Academy, whether it's 2024, whether it's 1960, whether it's 1990, 1991, is this really the kind of movie that we want to have representing us this year? I don't know. Whatever the reason, if it was just the distributor, or if it was that the filmmakers, the people involved outside of the physical production didn't know that this was a, for sure, Oscar contender, even though you think they would, literary property, runaway bestseller, et cetera, et cetera. The movie didn't come out till, ironically, right around Valentine's Day, 1991. It's still, to this day, rare for a movie which is awards-worthy, that everyone knows is awards-worthy, to not figure out a way to drop it the previous year. Otherwise, then you have to wait the whole entire next year to kind of take your chances. It's one of the reasons why with The Deer Hunter, they did what they did to get it in theaters. They may have been worried about Apocalypse Now, but you know, history tells us if you, if you try to figure out which of those movies is better, I think they're both great for different reasons. Uh, for what it tries to do, you might say The Deer Hunter is in fact more successful than Apocalypse Now, but that's just opinion, right? What do I know? Um, it's always troubled me, this whole concept of Silence of the Lambs, which I, I respect the movie. I feel like it's overrated. And when I say overrated, I mean that in a qualified sense. It's overrated in a sense that I don't think that if somebody out of context says, in the history of the Oscars, what movies were worthy of winning all the major awards? Picture director, actor, actress. I would not have ever thought of Silence of Lambs if I didn't know any Oscar history. If I were, a, you know, a 22-year-old, like me at 22, but we skip forward kind of thing, and I don't know anything about those Oscars, I would not have predicted that. So it's a movie that I respect the hell out of, but don't really love. It's not one of my favorites. Not that it's flawed, but I find it so uncomfortable to watch. Anyway, Silence of the Lambs should have been completed, wrapped, and rolled out to qualify for the Oscars for films released in 1990. They didn't do it. It didn't come out until 1991. Now, 1990 Oscars have always bothered me. Now, Goodfellas, ironically, similar to Silence of the Lambs, is another movie that I respect the hell out of, but I don't really like it. And as a film scholar, dare I say a film expert, I mean, I do have the degree, right? I can say that, and I'm not being a schmuck. Um, Goodfellas is, objectively speaking, a great film. I would say it's a better film than Silence of the Lambs, but that's neither here nor there. The idea is the 19, the 91 Oscars, films released in 1990, because Silence of the Lambs was not in play, it came down to a battle between Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas and Kevin Costner's Dances with Wolves. Now, I am, as I've talked about previously, I mentioned it on a short, I had some interaction with Kevin Costner, almost got involved with one of my screenplays in the years. I adore Kevin Costner. I think he's a terrific filmmaker, underrated filmmaker, even in some of the lesser works like Postman, his direction is okay, the movie's a shambles. But Costner is great. He's, a, he's like a Gary Cooper-type movie star. He's been in a ton of terrific movies. And as he's gotten older, 
He's played different kinds of roles, and now he's you know a new generation of fans, a TV show, Yellowstone, and all of the other stuff that he's that he's done. Hidden figures, he's terrific. Like he's aged gracefully, and he's taken on different kind of roles. He hasn't been trying to sort of force his way into continuing to play leading men into his you know into the kind of upper register of where it would be practical. So I love costumes, but. I, I just, I can't believe that Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas for Best Picture and that Kevin Costner got Best Director over Martin Scorsese. It's just, it's, it, it wasn't okay then, it's not okay. My theory, if you will, is that if Silence of the Lambs had qualified, had been able to, if they'd been able to get it together to release it in a couple of theaters at the end of 1990. The reviews would have been the same. Critics would have hit, they would have hit the fucking ceiling. Absolutely would have hit the ceiling. The fact that it was released in a non-Oscar season, you know, six weeks later, doesn't matter. They were going to have the same reaction. The Cisco Neberts, the David Denbys, the critics at large would have all had the same reaction. Would have all hit the ceiling and he would have said, this could win Best Picture. Holy shit. Jonathan Demme's an absolute genius. You know, I read that book and I can't believe how good this movie is. How did they do it? Whatever. My theory is, now, when Goodfellas did not win Best Picture, there was a lot of chatter that the Motion Picture Academy didn't want that movie representing it that year. Again, that's just chatter. Chatter would be louder now, though. With everything going viral, there would have been a lot more heated debate before the Oscars and then after the Oscars. But the following year, Silence of the Lambs, which if you ask me, is even more disturbing, dealing in, in human perversion, kind of like Blue Velvet. I believe that if Silence of the Lambs had qualified for the previous Oscars, Goodfellas wins Best Picture and Martin Scorsese wins Best Director. I can't conceive of a scenario in which Goodfellas does not win Best Picture because the same Motion Picture Academy, which was, we don't want this gritty, dirty movie of criminals bumping people off and living the high life. Yeah, but they get their come up and say, no, shut up, shut up. Compare Goodfellas to Silence of the Lambs. Compare Paulie Cicero and Jimmy Conway Hell, Tommy DeVito. They're choir boys. In the words of Arnold Schwarzenegger, they're choir boys! They're fucking choir boys! Next to Buffalo Bill and Hannibal Lecter? Choir boys. By comparison, if you're going to make the argument, we don't want this kind of film, these kinds of characters representing Hollywood this year, Come on. Come on. I believe Goodfellas wins the major awards. Now maybe Jodie Foster takes Best Actress. Maybe Hopkins takes Best Actor. Because Goodfellas, you know, as great as Ray Liotta is, Liotta's amazing. He's not going to win Best Actor. That could have been maybe the greatest Oscars ever with those two films fighting for the major awards. And you know, there are some people, that, maybe Jonathan Demme wins Best Director over Scorsese. Maybe. 
I don't know. What I do know is that, and I'll add, of course, Henry Hill, the character that Leota played, the real-life guy who went in the witness protection program. If you're going to start the arguments that were being lobbied against Goodfellas, they would be null and void with silence in play. And it, it just, I don't know why it bothers me so much. I guess part of that is because until The Departed, Martin Scorsese, for me, in my opinion, even though, as I say, I don't love Goodfellas, and I find Raging Bull, one of his other unquestioned masterpieces, also very uncomfortable to watch. Can't sit through it. It's fucking brilliant. I can say that. It's brilliant. For me, you can make the argument, and scholars have, Martin Scorsese directed the best film of the 1970s in Taxi Driver, the best film of the 1980s in Raging Bull, and the best film of the 1990s in Goodfellas, and had zero Oscars to show for it. That is not okay. Not okay. Academy fucked up. Should have won for Taxi Driver. You want to argue that, you know, Redford, ordinary people over Raging Bull, I love Robert Redford. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abstain from that one. Okay, because I think ordinary people, what it tries to do is fantastic. And as I say, Raging Bull just, man, De Niro really gets under your skin. And Pesci and Kathy Moriarty. Fight scenes are amazing. Like, it's such a good, it's so well constructed. Every shot of Raging Bull is like a painting. And so many shots of Goodfellas, same thing. So, in summation, for this one, Silence of the Lambs, if they wrap it, if they don't have the distributor issues, I believe that right now in 2024, Martin Scorsese wins Best Director, Goodfellas wins Best Picture for films released in 1990. And Silence of the Lambs gets a couple of big awards, but doesn't take, it certainly is not winning all of the big ones. It's not winning screenplay, picture, director, actor, actress. That's not a criticism of Silence. It's in tribute of Goodfellas. So the other year in the 90s, where something very similar took place, 1995, I've argued in other areas, academically even, is the only somewhat, somewhat, down year in the greatest decade for movies that Hollywood's ever known, the 90s. There are scholars who will argue with me and say the 70s and go back and forth for hours. There's no real right answer. See, this is the thing that's great about film theory, film criticism, and just debating and arguing with friends because usually there's no right answer. There's a right answer if I were to say Martin Scorsese beat Kevin Costner. and No, he didn't. You know what I mean? There's a difference between one plus one equals two and then us just, just fighting vehemently about who was better, who should win what. This isn't fair, yes it is. So, 1995, generally speaking, it's regarded to be the weakest year of an otherwise really strong decade for movies. Braveheart ended up winning the major hardware that year. And Mel Gibson had just come off, he'd had an appendectomy, I believe while he was shooting Ransom, he got sick on set, taken to the hospital. Luckily for him, and, and really for the, the film, um, he was well enough to attend the ceremony. He was a young guy. You know, this is the kind of thing if you're 65, 70 years old, you, you probably need more time to recover for an emergency appendectomy, but this is 28 years ago. So 
I love Braveheart, okay? Love it. I know that historically it's a little weird. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, very objectionable handling of certain characters. I'll leave it at that. But as a movie, the staging, what he was able to do with the battle scenes, the dirt and grime, the way that he was able to sell it all, even though there's, there's characters wearing, you know, 20th century watches and extras and stuff. I, I know that. Gibson's direction is extraordinary. You know, another thing, we know Mel Gibson, for all of the problems, some of the unsavory stuff that we know, you know, he was always known as a crazy practical joker. Um, he is an amazingly talented guy. He's a terrific actor. He's good in comedy. You've seen him be great in dramas, you know, even playing Macbeth. Um, not Macbeth. Is it, yeah, Macbeth. Right. Was it Macbeth or Hamlet? See, I always get them confused. You know what? I'm going to Google that. I think it actually was Hamlet, the melancholy Dane. Um, that's right. It was the Francisco Zeffirelli, uh, Francisco Zeffirelli uh, version of. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why I hesitate. Why I said Macbeth. It's funny. Point is, Gibson is a huge talent, and he's a terrific filmmaker. His direction of Braveheart is exemplary. So whatever issues people had with the movie, like going into those Oscars, there are movies in 1995 that I unabashedly love. Apollo 13 is in my top 25 all time, Ron Howard. When Ron Howard was not nominated for Best Director, you knew Apollo 13 wasn't winning, it wasn't winning Best Picture, even though trivia wonks were about to interrupt me in their head. I know that Driving Miss Daisy won Best Picture and Bruce Beresford Beresford was not nominated. And Billy Crystal at those Oscars got off a great crack at the Academy for screwing that up. I guess the movie directed itself. But the understanding was Ron Howard, I have no idea how he wasn't nominated for Apollo 13 because his direction is great. He makes you feel like you're in space. How the fuck did he do that? Like that, Ron Howard, some people would consider he's workmanlike. No, he's an artist. I love Ron Howard. Anyway, I, I, I get sidetracked with the editorial comments, but you understand where I'm coming from here. Apollo 13 was probably not winning Best Picture. And the other movies, Leaving Las Vegas, is a very difficult film to sit through. Nixon by Oliver Stone, you know, I love Anthony Hopkins. The movie just wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that great. It was pretty high level of confidence Braveheart was gonna take Best Picture and director, and it did. Now, the similar twist, if you want to call it that, to five years earlier with the, um, the kind of snafu and the, the issues with Silence of the Lambs, Fargo should have been able to have been released in late 95. Ah, it's strange. I'm also not that big a fan of Fargo. Thumbs up, for sure. But I know people who consider that to be one of the best films of the decade. My father, may he rest in peace. That was like literally one of his top five favorite movies ever, Fargo. He used to, my dad was not a guy who did this. He used to walk around talking like Marge Gunderson. Oh, you betcha. I just think I'm gonna burn. It is a movie that almost everybody really likes. Some people unabashedly love. Siskel and Ebert both had it you know, way at the top of their lists for 1996, for movies released in 96. Similar issues, they were not able to get it together. 
to put in theaters at the end of 95. And I don't know exactly what the release date was for Fargo, but I'm pretty sure it was January of 96. But I remember going to the movies. Um, I, I went to the movies the Saturday that it opened, and I didn't see it. I saw I, don't, I think I'm. <laughs> I think I might have seen the movie Fear, which was with Mark Wahlberg and a young Reese Witherspoon, like before she sort of hit the big time. But I remember now. I was already a fan. I was already a fan of the Coen Brothers. I loved Blood Simple. I thought Miller's Crossing. You know, Miller's Crossing, informally known as the Irish Goodfellas. Miller's Crossing is a fucking masterpiece. Like that's a great movie. It's a little bit of an under-the-radar gangster film, but yes, it's the same year uh, as Goodfellas. So I love the Coen Brothers, and I would, this is when I was going to the movies all the time. You know, we had less entertainment options in the mid-90s than we do today. So as a fan of the Coen Brothers, where did this movie come from? So apparently it was released, uh, the official release, if you say, was March 8th, but it could have been, it could have absolutely been hit some theaters at the end of December. There were issues with the distributor, as I said. And um, I believe very strongly that if Fargo qualifies for the Oscars for movies released in 1995, Braveheart doesn't win either of the major awards. As much as the Academy appreciated what Mel did, maybe Mel wins Best Director, maybe, but Another thing I remember is that the advance buzz on Fargo was crazy. It was crazy. And maybe that's part of why I was let down when I finally saw it, where it's like, well, that's all there is? This is it? It's not really a mystery. It's not a thriller. It's not a comedy. It's, is it even a drama? You know, and Blue Velvet is a movie, as I talked about yesterday, that doesn't really fit into any particular genre, but technically it's a mystery. Fargo is a unicorn. And as I said, it's good, but I've never understood the just incredible adoration for it, you know? And I, and I hope that the Cohen brothers are watching this. I'm a huge fan of you guys. You know, we don't want what happened with that Peloton instructor who didn't realize Christopher Nolan was sitting in her class, you know, was it about three and a half years ago, whatever it was, and she just started dragging his movie tenant. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? He's like, he's sweating his butt, he's dying. He's like, I'm on a bike and I'm, I'm trying to get through the tough part of the ride and this, this instructor is ripping my movie. He's probably laughing his ass off, but I love Coen Brothers, but I got, I could name five other movies that I prefer to Fargo. Doesn't mean Fargo is bad. I just don't think that it's, I don't think that it's as good as everyone else thinks. But that being said though, reading the tea leaves, and understanding not just Siskel and Ebert, David Denby, Rex Reed, other major critics of the day, Jeffrey Lyons, the major critics of the day almost all were rapturous in their praise for Fargo. And I absolutely believe it would have, at very least, taken best picture from Braveheart. Maybe Melvin's direct. You know, sometimes it does split. There are a lot of years where they're in lockstep, you know, like Clint Eastwood, when he won picture and director, uh, you know, Spielberg, Schindler's List, it's often in lockstep. But then you have situations like um, Chariots of Fire, my all-time favorite movie, won Best Director, but Warren Beatty won, excuse me, Chariots of Fire won Best Picture, Warren Beatty won Best Director for Reds. There was actually a lot of chatter that either Reds or On Golden Pond was going to 
win Best Picture that year. It was a bit of an upset that Chariots of Fire, a film made across the pond, but it was made by Sir David Putnam, who was very well respected all over the place. So you just never know how this is going to play out. And as I say, this is all speculative anyway, because we don't really have any way of knowing for sure. Even if we look at the ballots, we wouldn't be able to say with absolute certainty. But I know based on just a general sense that movies, the Academy has taken more chances in the last three plus decades than they had before then. They're just certain movies. And, and there, there did seem to be an anti-Scorsese kind of thing going on. And I like to imagine because, for example, Tarantino, if anything, went further with the violence, with the kind of over-the-top cartoony violence, which Scorsese never did. Violence never was cartoony. Taxi Driver, there's nothing over-the-top or cartoony about it. It's very real and very human. But I was gratified when Scorsese finally won for The Departed, even though I think that's the worst movie he ever made. Still a good movie. You know, Scorsese to me is on that level where even a lesser work is better than almost anyone else is going to come up with. Like, he can't make a bad film. He's too talented, and his eye for material is too strong. It's very important. You know, Tom Cruise, another guy who rarely has stepped wrong because he just has a nose and an eye for what's going to play. And, um, you know, Fargo, here we are all these years later, we have the TV show. So the movie ended up, in its own way, it's strange to think of that little independent-style film, which people thought was based on a true story because the Coen brothers throw something in on a title card at the beginning, implying that this really happened. It didn't. It made it up. But a lot of people thought, oh, wow, this is based on a true story. No, it's not. I mean, at some point, something like that happened, I'm sure, that some idiot kidnapped or had his own wife kidnapped, you know, probably in Florida, right? To be cliche. Uh, but all we got is what we got. And 1991 Academy Awards, the big awards went to Kevin Costner, Best Director, and Dancing with Wolves, Best Picture. Dancing with Wolves, good movie, it's solid. It's not even in my top probably 20 westerns. Westerns are a genre that I've studied. It's just okay for me. Goodfellas didn't win. Pesci won Best Supporting Actor. You know, won some technical awards, but the craftsmanship of Goodfellas. Even someone like me who does not unabashedly love that film, man, it's well made. It's so well acted. They got everybody to bring the A game. You know, and De Niro, Jimmy Conway, it's not a flashy character. But man, does he, he give it. He's great. De Niro's really great. You know, the scene where you still don't know to this day, the scene with Lorraine Brockle where you think he's going to have her bumped off. Just the, the almost lighthearted way that, you know, he's doing that, he's playing the scene. But he has those moments, those sort of De Niro moments. The only other actor that can do what he did and was able to do that, Russell Crowe, who has that, you know, as a much younger actor. Like De Niro, again, Goodfellas now 30-something years old. The ability to hold it close. Not everyone's got it. Mr. De Niro, got it. And you look at Russell Crowe, especially in his early work. Yeah. Right. We could be having a completely different conversation if the timing of these things had just worked out a little bit differently. But that's what makes a horse race, right? 
1995 Best Picture and Director, uh, Ray Park, Mel Gibson. And then the following year, uh, Fargo won a bunch of awards, including Francis McDormand for Best Actress. But let me give you the, um, the exact deeds, because I, I hate the problem with not only not working with a script, but um, I don't like giving information that's just false, because I didn't do a click. So Fargo won, um, yeah, for Best Actress, Frances McDormand. I think it won for screenplay. That was the year of The English Patient. The English Patient won nine Oscars. And uh, one, one last thing before I wrap up. Best joke told at those Oscars. It's one of the great ad-lib jokes in Oscars history. Um, uh, was it Tim Rice? Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. They won best song at those Oscars for, um, was it You Must Love Me? It was a song from the movie Avita, remember with Madonna, and that was not as big a hit as was expected. Didn't make as big of a splash on the award circuit as was expected. But Andrew Lloyd Webber went up to win his, uh, to get his Oscar. And he leaned into the microphone and he said, I'm just happy there wasn't a song called The English Patient. Man, that got a huge laugh. Everybody was thinking the same thing. The English Patient was just winning everything in sight, except Kristen Scott Thomas did not win Best Actress over Francis McDormand. And with that, we've reached the end of episode 54, Oscar time. This has been Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. If you're checking me out on the YouTube channel and haven't done so already, please don't forget to click like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. I'll see you real soon for episode 55.